Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. The clock is ticking, America. Looking at a live shot from Pensacola, Florida, where President Trump will take the stage in just over an hour and a half to once again rally his base. And in just three days, voters will head to the polls and cast their ballots in the 2018 midterm elections. The stakes couldn't be higher. Not only do Republicans' fragile majorities in the House and the Senate hang in the balance, but so too do a number of critical governor's races. President Trump can be accused of a lot of things, but being lazy in these closing days is not one of them. He's maintained a grueling rally schedule in support of key candidates. In just the past two days, he's campaigned in four states, including West Virginia, Indiana, Montana, and Florida, where he's set to take the stage later tonight. Tomorrow, he'll be in Georgia and Tennessee, and on Monday, he'll hold rallies in Ohio, Indiana, and Missouri. To call this unusual in a midterm election is an understatement. Just hours ago in Montana, the president seemed intent on hitting every exposed nerve he could think of, from caravans to joblessness and crime. Democrats want to invite caravan after caravan of illegal aliens to flood into your communities, depleting our resources and overwhelming our nation. And I noticed all that beautiful barbed wire going up today. The choice in this election could not be more simple. A Republican Congress means more jobs and less crime. I'm the only one that tells you the facts. President is doubling down in key races, campaigning in tight contests in states he won in 2016. Of the 43 rallies Trump has held this year, only five took place in states he didn't carry. No surprise, he likes friendly territory. In Montana, a state that Trump won by 20 points, popular Democratic Senator John Tester is fighting for his political life in a tighter-than-expected race against Republican Matt Rosendale. In Florida, Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum is hoping to become the Sunshine State's first African-American governor. Gillum is running neck-and-neck with Trump acolyte, former Republican Congressman Ron DeSantis. And the governor's race in Deep Red, Georgia, has similarly historic implications. There, progressive Democrat Stacey Abrams is looking to become the first African-American woman to hold a governorship, not just in Georgia, but anywhere. Key races with huge implications. Here's the deal. In the final weeks, the nation has reeled from one heartache to the next. From a murdered Washington Post journalist to dozens killed in Hurricane Michael to a wave of Hondurans fleeing violence in their home country to more than a dozen mail bombs sent to the homes and offices of Trump critics and the press to a horrific hate crime massacre at a synagogue outside of Pittsburgh. We've been through a lot, America, and at a time when we need healing and unity more than ever before, we're on the precipice of one of the most heated and divisive elections in recent history. And the president seems more than happy to exploit it all, the fear 
the anxiety, the raw emotions. He doesn't have to. He's got a booming economy to gloat about. But instead, it's lies about the caravan, lies about the media, lies about his own policies. And it just might work. Okay, here to discuss this and a whole lot more is CNN senior political commentator and the host of The Axe Files, David Axelrod. Um, Axe, let's jump right into some of these races and what they mean. Uh, Montana, deep red state, but Democratic Senator John Tester is very well liked there. Just in April, he was one of the top 10 most popular senators in the country, and yet he's fighting for his life right now. Uh, What do you make of the fact that Montana is so tight? Well, look, uh, Donald Trump carried that state by by 20 points. These Senate races often follow their presidential preference uh, in these uh, kinds of elections. And and so Tester was bound to have a close race. President is obviously working uh, very hard to make it such. Uh, has a per- personal beef with Tester because Tester uh, led the battle against Ronnie Jackson, the president's personal uh, physician in the White House, who he appointed yeah. uh, to the VA. And so he seems really out of sorts about that, that yeah. Jackson had to withdraw. So, uh, you know, I I'm not surprised that the race is close. I'm also not surprised that that uh, Tester continues to maintain a lead. He's a very authentic Montanan. And, you know, one thing that people don't realize is even though Trump won by that margin, Montana, 50 of the last 53 Senate races have been won there by Democrats. It's it's not that unusual for Democrats to win the Senate race. It's the nature of that state. They have a Democrat governor as well. So uh, it's not as hostile a turf as you'd expect. Right. Uh, let's go to Georgia, where we have Stacey Abrams, an African-American woman and an unapologetic far-left progressive who's giving Republican Brian Kemp a real run for his money. Uh, I don't think anyone expected this one to be as tight as it is. If Georgia elects Abrams, what national implications do you think that might have for Democrats? I'm not sure. You know, certainly she would be a powerful voice uh, in the Democratic Party. But, you know, one thing we've seen is we've seen how diverse this country is and how different candidates do well in different places. Uh, I mean, uh, John Tester is uh, a much different candidate than Stacey Abrams. They may share broad goals about, uh, uh, about health care and, uh, and jobs and mm. so on, but that doesn't mean that they're going to agree on methodology. Uh, yeah. But clearly, uh, she would be a, uh, uh, a strong voice in the Democratic debate. Uh, your former boss, President Obama, stumped for both Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum in Florida. Here was his message yesterday. Take a listen. In four days, you can choose a bigger, more prosperous, more generous vision of America. An America where love and hope conquer hate. An America where we, the people, whatever we look like, Whoever we love, however we choose to pray, however our ancestors came here, we can come together to shape our country's course. You know, that message certainly appeals to someone like me a whole lot more than than Trump's. But can that compete with Trump's? ginning up all the fear and anxiety you know i think that's the big question that was that was vintage barack obama that was the the message that got him elected president twice it's the message he 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 hewed to throughout the uh 
his presidency, and it's the one he believes in, and Donald Trump is the antithesis of that. It may be one reason why he got elected, because it does gin up his base. It does gin up people uh, who are less comfortable with some of the changes we've seen uh, demographically in our country, culturally in our country. Uh, but, you know, Florida is, a, uh, is very much uh, an up-for-grab state, and yeah. it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, Donald Trump hand, basically handpicked DeSantis, the governor, gubernatorial right. candidate there. So this is really a referendum in a state that is an important swing state in this country on the kind of politics that people want. Yeah. Thanks, David. I'll see you in D.C. Looking for next week's election coverage, my friend. Thanks. And be sure to stick around for the Axe Files immediately following Unfiltered. David Axelrod will be joined by former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, for some more on-the-ground analysis of these key races I was just talking about, I want to bring in CNN political commentator and senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner, David Drucker. Um, Drucker, you've uh, been out on the on the trail. Uh, Republican Matt Rosendale got a big boost in Montana this week when the Libertarian candidate, third-party candidate, dropped out and endorsed him over John Tester. What are you expecting in that race in Montana? Yeah, it's a very close race, and I think that we all we have to go all the way back to the Brett Kavanaugh hearings to understand why this race tightened. I was out with Matt Rosendale a couple of weeks ago in Montana, and people were coming up to him, giving him the old attaboy, and we're rooting for you. And, and it's the kind of thing that he his candidacy had been lacking, especially against hmm. uh, John Tester, who's that sort of, as David Axelrod was talking about, that authentic Montanan that's yeah. always been able to him. overcome his party identification yeah. because he's really one of them. And I think that what what Kavanaugh did was awaken mm. uh, a complacent conservative electorate. And that's why this thing is close. Now, the libertarian candidate dropping out after early voting began means hmm. that the boost that he could have provided had he gotten out a lot earlier may be neutered a little bit, but it certainly yeah. doesn't hurt. So over in Georgia, do you think that Stacey Abrams has a shot in that red state? Yeah, really interesting because I'm always skeptical of public polling of Georgia showing Democrats in the game. The election happens and it's never as close as those polls suggested. But my Republican sources that know how to poll Georgia tell me this thing is real, that it's a toss up. Mm. And it's not because Republicans are not enthusiastic to vote. They expect to pull a big, huge vote out of the rural areas that generally vote Republican in large numbers. Right. Where uh, Mr. Kemp is struggling and where Abrams is doing really well is in the Atlanta suburbs. And this gets back right. to the sort of thing that has been plaguing Republicans this entire election cycle, where you have particularly women voters, but not just women, in these affluent suburbs that have basically said, because of Trump, they're, they're not as affiliated with the Republican Party. They don't want to affiliate with Republicans as much yeah. as they have in the past. Yeah. And this is boosting Abrams. That's at least how the data has looked until now. Interesting. Uh, so before we go, what are your predictions for the House and the Senate on Tuesday? <laughs> what do you think happens? Mm yeah, my prediction is not to look like an idiot and, and give you the wrong <laughs> prediction, but here, because <laughs> we know how far these predictions, how much these predictions are worth. But here's what here's what I will tell you. And, and yeah, look, ahead. I just finished in Maine covering a Democrat in a rural district. I'm now in Minneapolis taking a look at that quintessential upscale suburban district. And here's one thing that I, I, I know is, is true from okay. covering Senate races and from covering these House races. I think Republicans are on track to hold the Senate and pick up a couple of seats unless the polling is wildly off track. And I don't mean just public polling, but the private polling where mm. these campaigns have pollsters that understand their states. So anything could happen, but Republicans look really good in the Senate. In the House, 
anything could happen, but I'd rather be a Democrat than a Republican. And when we mm. talk about all of this Democratic energy that has been boosting Democratic midterm turnout that usually can't compete very well with Republican turnout in a midterm, what I'm talking about are people volunteering for campaigns that have never volunteered yeah. before. So maybe they've voted, mm. they've never been this ginned up before. And even though there's not a lot of talk on the trail one-on-one -on -one with voters about Donald Trump, Trump is clearly the oxygen that has fueled this from the beginning. Yeah. And that's why really I think Democrats have such a good shot at winning mm. the House. They just have so many districts where they're competing in that I think the projections of Democratic gains in the 25 to 35 range are very reasonable and I think it very mm. well could happen. Although okay. it's always possible if the polling's off by a couple points, Republicans hang on by a couple seats. Cover all your bases, David. We got it. <laughs> Thank you. I I'm appreciate trying, it. Thank we'll you. We'll talk next week. All right. Up next, will Trump's risky divide and conquer strategy lead to a reward on Tuesday and later separating the political theater from the reality on the ground at our southern border? In the run-up to the midterm elections, President Trump is pushing all the buttons. No matter where you stand or what your priorities are, the president has a solution for you. Are you worried about health care? Not to worry. The president promises he'll protect coverage of pre-existing conditions. But actually, the administration introduced a new policy last week that would allow states to get around that requirement. Are you not convinced the tax cuts were good enough? Well, in that case, there's another 10% tax cut coming. And that one's just for you guys. Except Congress is not in session, and by all accounts, this isn't happening anytime soon, if ever. Are you worried about the borders? I know you are. How about 15,000 additional troops to defend it? And a racist ad to remind you it's funded by Democrats, probably, and is also full of Middle Easterners and cop killers. The caravan's numbers are dwindling. It's 900 miles away from the border, and it's largely women and children seeking asylum. Also, there is zero proof it is funded by Democrats. The GOP, nonetheless, is leaning on Trump to be their closer in a very tight, very volatile midterm race. And in addition to a rally schedule that's objectively aggressive, President is spinning every tale he can tell. Well, how will that play out? Let's see. For more on this, let me bring in my guests, CNN political commentators, GOP strategist Kevin Madden, Democratic strategist Maria Cardona. Kevin. Yes. Will this strategy be good for Republicans, I, the spaghetti on the wall, <laughs> see what sticks strategy, something for everyone. Uh, well, I, I'm not dodging the question here. Yes and no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, in these districts where, and you know, you had David Drucker on earlier, David yeah. um, used this term uh, earlier this week, the Trumpy districts, where mm -hmm. you really need to generate a lot of Trump's most sort of ardent base supporters to get out to the polls, and yeah. you needed to give them a reason to do that. Like the, the nonstop attack on immigration and mm -hmm. using the caravan as a backdrop for that conversation is going to generate a lot of attention yeah. in those districts and maybe get those voters out. Yeah. But the, the backlash, the big risk is where I think the majority is going to be won or lost is in these more affluent suburbs. Think yeah. outside of Philadelphia, outside Denver, yeah. you know, areas like that outside Chicago. Those are areas where, you know, college-educated women don't respond mm -hmm. to these uh, attacks. No, we don't. Uh, the same, right, the no, same way that maybe <laughs> maybe men in some of the exurbs do. Right. So as a result, those that used to be a very solid block of Republican yeah. voters in past elections and helped us win the majority. Yes, And did. now it potentially is one of the reasons that you could lose it. Yeah. So um, it all depends on where these arguments break through. Right. Maria, how do you think Democrats combat this 
do they chase down every tangent that Trump goes on no. or do they stick to a message like health care? Right. So right now, the way that they are doing this, <clears throat> excuse me, which I think is very smart, is that they are actually sticking to the message that has been working for them up until okay. now. The number one issue, as you know, is actually health care. Yeah, for Democrats. Uh, for mm -hmm. Democrats, yep. exactly. Yep. But for their constituents, it has worked. And yeah. it has actually really spoken to the issue that they care most about. They do have to respond when they are either asked about it at a town hall or if there is a, a, a specific attack on them. Like, for example, Andrew Gillum yeah. was brilliant in how he responded to Trump when Trump insulted him by calling him a stone cold thief. Right, right. right? Mm. And what he said was, you know, look, Donald Trump is insulting me again. But as my grandmother said, you don't want to get into a mud fight with a pig because the pig likes it. Yeah. And you, you don't want to get into the mud with him. So right. you respond, but you try to continue to focus on the I, issue. I haven't seen it's a lot not, of Democrats. Talking about the caravan, though, I haven't. Why do you think that is? Well, I is it is it? Is it because they'd have to answer what? What would you do well, about no, this? Because, you know? because there have been some candidates who have been who have talked about it. So she's small Torres in New Mexico. O2 has talked about it, and what what Democrats are able to talk about is is the comprehensive immigration reform plan that the majority of Democrats actually actually supported back in 2013, okay. which had massive border security in a smart and sensible way. And then they can flip to the caravan and say, look, hmm. these are not criminals. These are women and children. And yes, we have to figure out a better way to see who deserves asylum and who we should send yeah, back. I, they I, need I, I to hear you. It's it. too politically fraught. I, I, I see, though, you, but you, these you, are not issues that are that, yeah. that are working against them in the districts that they're I, I winning. I see you yeah. bring up a very good point, yeah. though, and that's one of the reasons why Trump brought this issue of the caravan up, which is that he knows that there are are no real easy answers, right? But that it stirs up a lot of emotions. Yeah. And in the last he can two weeks, on it. right? In the last two yeah. weeks of a campaign, it's never about it's never really about unity. It's always a message of trying to draw contrast with the opposite party. Right. And that's why he thinks he's using it to his advantage. Um, let me talk to you about someone you know well, Paul Ryan, um, mm -hmm. Speaker of the House. The president picked on him a bit uh, this week. <laughs> saying, why aren't you focusing on <laughs> maintaining the majority as if that's not what he's been doing for the past two years? Uh, he's raised more money than any other House leader. Uh, why do you think Why do you think Trump went no, there? This is exactly like my, my last point, <laughs> right. which is that you want to draw contrast to the other party, not, not your, own. your own party, right? Right. Um, Unbelievable. And, and the interesting thing, too, is that, it, it, first of all, it's distracting for all these candidates. Now they have to pick a side in the, some of these elections. They right. don't want to be in that position. No. The other part of it, it doesn't square with the facts. Like, you, like you said, yeah. Paul Ryan raised and spent for Republican candidates out there $110 million yeah. Yeah. through the Congressional Leadership Fund. Yeah. He is right now, at this very moment, yeah. on like a 50-city, 12-state <laughs> tour trying to help yeah. these, these vulnerable members. Yeah. So... You Real know. quick before you guys go, mm -hmm. I know they're all important, all the races matter, <laughs> but what's one you're really going to be looking at on Tuesday? I think the one that I mentioned, Sochil Torresmal in, in New Mexico, O2, okay. and New Jersey, 11, um, Mikey Sherrill, who is a woman, a vet, okay. one of these women that we've been talking about, you know, forever, who's yeah. really strong and who's emblematic of the kind of people that we have running. Yeah, inside. real okay. quick, Kentucky yep. 6, uh, Andy okay. Barr versus Amy McGrath. Polls close very early. It's a, a, it's a it's a district mm -hmm. that Trump won big, and now right now it's in a very you know a very close race. So if early in the night we find out that a race the race like that right. that Trump won big in yeah. 2016, now we have a Republican uh, incumbent losing, that could mean this a big night for. And, and again, McGrath, veteran, fighter pilot, yeah. badass lady. I knew I invited you guys on for a reason. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kevin Maria. Thank you. That was great. great. Uh, you. Next is Trump's fear-first strategy driving once dependable suburban votes. 
away from his party. And a little later, I'll speak to a former neo-Nazi about the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting and hate in the campaign. Notoriously hot-headed actor Alec Baldwin was arrested yesterday, again, and charged with assault and harassment following a dispute over a parking spot in New York City. Police allege that Baldwin punched a 49-year-old man in the face. But after getting booked and leaving the police station on Friday, Baldwin logged on to Twitter to deny it all, writing in a very Royal Tenenbaums narrator voice, the assertion that I punched anyone over a parking spot is false. I wanted to go on the record stating as much. I realize that it has become a sport to tag people with as many negative charges and defaming allegations as possible for the purposes of clickbait entertainment. Fortunately, no matter how reverberating the echoes, it doesn't make this statement true. Now, because of his recurring role impersonating Trump on SNL, Baldwin has become the president's primary Hollywood nemesis, which has led us to perhaps the most surprising Trump moment of 2018. Watch. Who was arrested? Alec Baldwin. He punched somebody out during a parking dispute. I wish him luck. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll be back in two minutes. In the red file tonight, as I mentioned earlier, it is unusual for a president to campaign this aggressively on behalf of midterm election candidates. That's because usually the president isn't helpful for the party in power. Typically, that party loses seats. This year, Trump is putting that maxim to the test. He's all over the country, doubling and tripling down on his base message. You've heard what he is saying, the fear-mongering about criminals and caravans, the outright lies about overturning birthright citizenship and the constant attacks against the press, but it didn't have to be this way. Here's the message Speaker of the House Paul Ryan is hammering three days before the election per a press release. If you look at what we've accomplished, we have earned your vote. We stopped typical gridlock and have grown our nation's economy. Military is stronger today. Opportunities are more prevalent. Even with all those accomplishments, we have more we can do to make things better for millions of Americans. And we're asking you for that chance on Tuesday. And here's a press release from the Republican National Committee yesterday. Think of how far our country has come under President Trump's leadership. We have millions of new jobs, record low unemployment, the biggest tax cut in a generation, and record high small business optimism. That's how Trump could be campaigning. He's chosen not to. But will it be at the expense of suburban voters? Let me ask former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. He represented Pennsylvania's 15th district. Uh, A Supreme Court ruling has redrawn that district, making it one of the most hotly contested suburban areas that people are watching very closely. Congressman, I've heard you talk about the accomplishments of the Republican Congress over the past two years. Surely it's what Paul Ryan and the RNC would rather be talking about. Do you think that that could be as compelling a message, though, as Trump's scare campaign? Well, S.C., absolutely. I think the message that Paul Ryan is conveying is infinitely superior to what the president is spinning. Uh, this election, yes, it's, it's about the base to a certain extent. The Republican base is going to support Republicans. Democratic base support, support Democrats. It's about independents and swing voters. And right now, Republicans are not polling well among independent voters. Right. So the president's message, I'm afraid, is going to scare them. And um, in suburban Philadelphia, the Brian Fitzpatrick district or the Tom MacArthur district in New Jersey or Leonard Lance, yeah. I can't, those guys aren't talking about uh, caravans. I can tell you that. Right. Uh, this is not helping them in their districts. But Trump knows what works with his base and they're not getting fired up over, you know, NIH funding and school choice. But do you worry that like the racist ad, for example, that that boxes out 
not just independents, but even a, a chance at getting some Democrat voters. Well, yeah, and, and frankly, I think the bleeding that Republicans have to worry about most are college-educated women, particularly suburban-educated uh, women, yeah. uh, you know, who are who are going the other way. And so I think the messages that these candidates should be running, at least those who are going to make the majority, you know, have, those messages have to appeal particularly to those college-educated women. And, and this yeah. demagoguing uh, the caravan is completely unhelpful to those candidates and counterproductive. Yeah. It might help in North Dakota and Tennessee, but it's certainly not helping in suburban Philadelphia and New Jersey. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I am, I am a college-educated white woman uh, in a, suburb, in a sub, uh, suburb. Uh, I am a Republican. I am, I am inclined to vote Republican, of course, but this message does not do anything for me. I just want to turn briefly um, before I let you go to the tragic shooting outside of Pittsburgh one week ago today. Um, our hearts are with the victims, of course, and they, I assume, could care less about politics right now. But the president at a rally this week was lamenting how the shooting, quote, stopped a tremendous momentum for Republicans. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the president sh should never have uh, tried to talk about the politics of the shooting. This is just simply uh, so devastating. And I, I think what's happened is that, and by the way, in my community of Allentown, just the other night, 1,500 people showed up for a vigil. Uh, so people are really taking this. It's very hard for people throughout the Commonwealth. Sure. Uh, but no, the president shouldn't talk about the politics of this. Again, uh, completely unhelpful. In fact, the, the bigger concern that I have is that, uh, that the president's continuing messaging on you know, these nativist isolationist, protected, uh, protectionist uh, impulses of his, I think are unhealthy for the country and do bring out the worst in us at times. And I'm not saying that's what caused any of the shootings. And I don't blame the right. president for the shooting at all, of course. But I, I think he's got to tone it down. He, he's he's got he's to speak as a leader, as a, as a unifier of the nation. That's the job of the president, to keep us calm and not to incite us at times like this. He's, he's, he can't simultaneously try to unify the nation after Pittsburgh as he tried to do, and then at the same time, you know, incite us uh, on, you know, immigrants coming in from uh, Central America. I mean, it's hard to do these two things simultaneously, unite and divide. Yeah, it's, it, seems, it seems as though uh, the divide message generally wins out uh, in Trump's, Trump's heart. Mm -hmm. Congressman Charlie Dent, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Essie. Great to be with you. Next, I ask a reformed white supremacist if there's a direct link between our national political discourse and the Tree of Life shooting. Just days after 11 members of his congregation were murdered by a neo-Nazi gunman, Rabbi Jeffrey Myers was once again leading the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Friday Sabbath services. Today, the synagogue hosted a prayer vigil to mark the time the massacre began one week ago. The services are acts of defiance in the face of the worst instance of anti-Semitic violence in U.S. history, violence which has become tragically more frequent in recent years. Anti-Semitic hate crimes have seen a steady increase since 2015. According to the Anti-Defamation League, there were 1,986 reported anti-Semitic incidents in the United States in 2017, a 57% increase from 2016, which itself had seen a 35% uptick in incidents from the previous year. It's hard to separate those numbers from the increasingly rancorous tone of political discourse in this country. And a president who's done little to distance himself 
from the hate-mongering of the right's political fringe. So what can we do to stop the rising tide of hate in this country? Joining me now for more insight into this is author of the book White American Youth, My Descent into America's Most Violent Hate Movement and How I Got Out. Founder of the Free Radicals Project and a reformed white supremacist, Christian Picciolini. Christian, um, at one time you had beliefs similar to those held by the man who attacked Pittsburgh's Tree of Life congregation. What infects someone uh, with that kind of hatred? How does that happen? You know, I see, I, I really think that the radicalization of people happens from the day that they're born. Uh, the ideology mm. is really just the final permission slip, uh, the driver's license, so to speak, mm. for them to go out and finally be able to act out on their frustrations or marginalization uh, or whatever else is broken inside of them. But I can mm. tell you that when somebody with power gives them words that back up what they believe, uh, spreads conspiracy theories and gives them some sort of agency, there's a certain subsegment of these extremist groups that will act. Now, most extremists, you know, may just be extremists vocally and in ideological terms, but there is also a group of people within every extremist movement who will take action based on the words that they hear. And now that hate is becoming normalized, they feel very empowered. So, I mean, specifically President Trump's words, is that motivating people in white supremacist circles? Do they care? what the President of the United States says or doesn't say? Well, I think the optics are that, uh, you know, they probably don't want to support somebody who's in government, but everything that he's saying uh, is in line with their policies, with their beliefs. And we see white supremacists like David Duke who openly support uh, Donald Trump's policies. So, right. you know, all I have to do is point to the people who are the white supremacists uh, to, to show you that they actually support uh, and believe what he yeah. says. I want you to listen to something that President Trump said uh, in the run-up to these midterms. Take a listen. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. Nationalist. Nothing else. Use that word. Use that word. What did you think when you heard that? I mean, it was uh, loud like a bullhorn to me. I didn't hear a dog whistle. Uh, and, and what I heard was his call to white nationalists saying that I'm behind you. And, and actually, since then, we've seen now four tragedies occur. Uh, we've had the pipe bombings. Uh, we've had the tragedy in Pittsburgh at the synagogue. Uh, in Louisville, or in Kentucky, we saw two African-Americans killed by a white supremacist. And there are yeah. reports today that the shooting in Florida uh, was actually uh, committed by uh, somebody who was far right leaning, with white supremacist ideals, yeah. who's part of the involuntary celibate movement. So this is going to continue, right. uh, and, and people need to be held accountable for their words. That last one was at a yoga, a yoga studio in, in Florida. We're still, we're still reporting on that, um, trying to get to the bottom of what happened there. But it really does seem like there's been a significant uptick, not only in hate crime attacks that we know, but also just the overt racism we've seen go viral lately. You know, uh, white people calling the police on minorities for living their lives, for having barbecues, going to stores. I, I did a story on a, a guy who was called for babysitting kids, um, just going to vote. What do you attribute all of that to? Surely that's been going on since before President Trump came into power. 
Absolutely. We've, you know, had a, an issue with white supremacy since our nation's founding. Uh, I think what's happening now is not only is there a resurgence and new people becoming involved in this movement, uh, but it's also emboldening the people who always had those beliefs to now be able to say them out loud. Uh, they're not hiding behind hoods anymore. They've gone from what I used to be wearing boots to now suits. Uh, right. And the conversation and the dialogue in our country has, has become so extreme that now these people who had hateful ideologies who were embarrassed of them maybe just a few years ago are not right. embarrassed to say them anymore. Right. So how do you reform people with this kind of hate filled in, in, their, in their hearts and minds? What do you do? You know, there are two things that, that haters love, and that's silence and violence. If we're silent, they grow, and if we're violent against them, they use that as a victim narrative. Uh, so what I do is I approach yeah. people with compassion and with cautious vulnerability, and I can tell you that for me, 23 years ago, the most powerful transformative thing was receiving compassion from the people I least deserved it from when wow. I least deserved it. So that's how I approach people who are in these groups, and I will introduce them to the people they think that they hate. It's really powerful, Christian. I'm really glad you joined me today to talk about this. Thank you, Essie. Thanks. Okay, after the break, a look at how Trump is playing politics at the border. Part of the president's closing argument just days before what's shaping up to be record midterm turnout is that thousands of criminal invaders, tough men, are heading to our southern border. So he's activating the military. As far as the caravan is concerned, our military is out. We have about 5,008. We'll go up to anywhere between 10 and 15,000 military personnel on top of Border Patrol, ICE, and everybody else at the border. Now, the president would like you to believe that our men and women in uniform will be there in a law enforcement capacity. According to CNN reporting, however, the Pentagon rejected that request last week and will send personnel for, quote, logistical support only. But even at the current order of 5,200 troops, that amounts to the largest deployment of active duty military to the U.S.-Mexico border in a century. And it's more troops than we have fighting ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Critics have accused the president of deploying the military as a political stunt, to which Defense Secretary Mattis responded with a curt, we don't do political stunts. Many of his former colleagues, however, appear to disagree. General Colin Powell told the Washington Post, quote, I see no threat requiring this kind of deployment. Lieutenant General David Barno, a former commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan, added, the military has all of a sudden been placed in a highly politicized environment regarding immigration. I'll say. Let's see what CNN military and diplomatic analyst Lieutenant Admiral John Kirby has to say. Uh, Admiral Kirby, Former military leaders, generals, some top advisors, they're speaking out on this and saying that the military is being politicized. From this to that military parade Trump always talks about wanting, are you worried that the president is using our military like toy soldiers? Yeah, I am worried. I mean, that he's using them as a campaign tactic. When you listen to what he said even today about the military out there on the border, the speed with which, not just the numbers, but the speed with which uh, they are being sent there in advance of the midterm elections and coupled with his rhetoric, I am worried that he's using them as a campaign tactic. And, and I haven't seen anything, uh, you know, out of DHS to, to actually validate this requirement for this many troops that, that can, rest me to, to, can make me rest a little easy on that. Well, what do you think folks at the Pentagon, what do you think our troops think about this? 
Well, look, I think uh, the, the, the troops are, are great. They're going to do what they're told to do. They're sure. going to deploy what they're told to do, and they, and they really don't try to focus on the politics. I would be very surprised if any of those uh, men and women down there are, are too worried about the politics of it. They're much more concerned about getting their jobs done. Uh, I think right. they're, I, I, I would be surprised if uh, officials in the Pentagon aren't a little worried about this as well, not just yeah. from the political side of it, but also because, um, you know, it's a drain on their own resources. This is taking troops away uh, from other missions that they might otherwise be right. able to do. And it's going to be very expensive. And, Essie, it's the Pentagon that's going to have to pay this bill. The Pentagon yeah. is not going to get reimbursed for this. That is, we're, we're talking tens of millions of dollars easily, if not right. close to $100 million, uh, depending on how long they're down there. Well, and according to an unclassified military planning report published uh, by Newsweek, the walking caravan won't make it to the border for at least another month, perhaps, right. and is downsizing already as it goes. Do you think this deployment's even necessary? It's hard to see how it is, and this is why I would like to see more transparency out of the Department of Homeland Security about exactly why they need all these troops and, yeah. and for these particular missions, and that's what we're not getting. The Pentagon, I think, has been pretty forthcoming about what they're sending and what units they've and even why. listed the bases and yeah. why. They haven't been transparent about the money, but I understand that. They don't know that yet. The DHS has a responsibility to explain to us why this isn't a political hmm. stunt, why this isn't a campaign tactic, and why exactly they need this many troops this fast. And that's what's missing. And it, it leads people like me and my colleagues to assume, you have to, when you look at this, to assume that this is really nothing more than to try to, you know, turn up his base and, and get votes uh, on Tuesday. Uh, I want to get your take on a very alarming set of comments the president made about the possibility of migrants throwing rocks at the border. Take a listen. Yeah. They want to throw rocks at our military. Our military fights back. We're going to consider it. I told them, consider it a rifle. They do that with us, they're going to be arrested. There's going to be problems. I didn't say shoot. I didn't say shoot. So Mexico is trying. They are trying. But we're different. We more than try. We have our military now on the border. Um, Admiral Kirby, the Nigerian army, which is part of a military criticized for rampant human rights, abu human rights abuses on Friday, used the words of President Trump to justify its fatal shootings of rock-throwing protesters. How dangerous is that language? Very dangerous. And you just put your th thumb right on it, Essie. I'm not worried about our troops. They're going to have very specific rules of the use of force and rules of engagement. They're not going to be firing on rock throwers. They don't even do that, uh, you know, in other places in combat areas. They have a very strict set uh, of engagement uh, processes that they have yeah. to go through to de-escalate the situation. But other yeah. people hear this, and they don't know that right. the president's just, you know, shooting from the hip here. They think it's serious, and that is exactly right. It is, it is the example he's setting for yeah. thugs around the world that bothers me. Admiral Kirby, thank you so much for coming on, as always. My pleasure. For more on the crucial foreign policy issues facing America, be sure to subscribe to my new podcast, Weekend Warriors, on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. That's it for us tonight. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 